Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. Our days, O oh God, are spent between light and darkness. At times, as the result of our own sin or the evil of others, we find ourselves in the darkness. At other times, we are happily caught up in your light and love. More often, we are in between, busy in the half-light, trying to make the best of a compromising existence, stumbling and falling, rising and achieving. With your help, we make headway, but still fall far short of the light of your glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Persist with your mission of saving us all. By your grace, banish our darkness and enlighten us. May we not linger dolefully in the gloom of guilt or self-pity. Make us bold to move out to where the shadows are fewer, even though the brighter light shows up our flaws. Give us more of the light of Christ, that our lives may reflect our deep gratitude for you. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, now as we hear your word, fill us with your spirit. Soften our hearts that we may delight in your presence. Sharpen our minds that we may discern your truth. Shape our wills that we may desire your ways. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The scripture reading for today is Exodus 24, verses 12 through 18. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there. I'll give you the stone tablets with the instructions and the commandments that I have written in order to teach them. So Moses and his assistant Joshua got up, and Moses went up God's mountain. Moses said to the elders, wait for us here until we come back to you. Aaron and her will be here with you. Whoever has a legal dispute may go to them. Then Moses went up the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The Lord's glorious presence settled on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, the Lord called Moses from the cloud. To the Israelites, the Lord's glorious presence looked like a blazing fire on top of the mountain. Moses entered the cloud and went up the mountain. Moses stayed on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. This is the word of the Lord. Our New Testament lesson comes from the Gospel of Matthew, the 17th chapter. Hear now this word of God. Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. 
Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, we will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. It's been said that there are two sides to every story. I would go even further. There are two sides at least to every person. Though 4.4% of our population is diagnosed as bipolar disorder, nearly 99% of us struggle with being bi-human. That is, having two sides. We are the person that we let others see, and we are the person we keep private. Few here are those self-actualized people that live perfectly self-aware and comfortable in their own skin with a what-you-see-is-what-you-get existence. Think of your friends, family members, your colleagues whom you know but don't really totally know. Preparing for a memorial service, I ask the family, tell me about your dad's faith. And so often I hear, it was a private faith. He didn't talk about it. How we hide parts of ourselves. Some of us have traveled home with our husband or wife or close friend on a trip back to their childhood home and seen another side of them as they struggle in the presence of their parents or siblings to be who they are, returning to childhood home and community old roles and former feelings of inadequacy resurface. How different some of my family members are when they come to visit me bringing their spouse versus how they come when they come alone. Ever had a deep talk with a colleague about their family's struggles and frustrations, only to read their annual Christmas letters, less than honest portrayal of a glowing and perfect home life? This projection of the life they wish they had is why they will go home after work and self-medicate. We all know a pastor or two who show you only a certain side of themselves and never reveal their particular burdens. Mother Teresa offered us an unshakable faith and inspiring self-sacrifice for others. But when her private thoughts from letters to her confessor revealing her personal doubt and despair were made public, we were shocked. My God, who am I that you should forsake me, she wrote. Deep down, right inside, there's nothing but emptiness and darkness. There were two sides of this saint. She was intimate with God and utter loneliness. We didn't know the side of Mother Teresa that was doubting. That great chaotic comic Robin Williams was superbly gifted with making other people laugh, and on the day of his death by suicide after battling severe depression, his wife said he was one of the most beloved artists and beautiful human beings. He was also one of the most tortured 
the public Robin ever affable and hilarious in joy, and a private Robin who lived in hopelessness. We didn't know the side of Robin that was hurting. It can take people decades, even eight decades, to pull all the parts of themselves together for others to see. The Oscar-winning star of Cabaret, Joel Grey, struggled with and hid his sexuality for most of his life until last year in his 80s, he began to live whole, authentically, and out loud. His famous daughter Jennifer reflected, the more people are free to own their true nature and can come closer to love and accept themselves as they really are, no matter what age, no matter how long it takes, to be finally free of the lies and half-truths, it is freedom. She and we didn't see the part of Joel Gray that was hiding. It is hard not being whole. It is difficult not being authentic, but it is what we know. We hold a part of ourselves apart from some or perhaps all. There are pieces we choose not to reveal or revisit, but of much more importance, sometimes there are parts of ourselves unembraced by us, pieces of who we are that we have a hard time facing and owning. Much of my work in premarital counseling deals with young couples, and I'm trying to help them discern, and I need to discern how real they are being with one another. Do they really know themselves? Are they transparent to their partner? How will that lack of honesty undermine their marriage? On the other end of the spectrum, at the hospice bedside, spiritual care comes to help people reconcile relationships impacted by a lack of honesty with those who loved them, to forgive themselves for not embracing their own limitations or regrets or desires. To be human is to struggle, to be whole, open, and accepted people, flaws and all, and to know ourselves and let others know us. What most of us lack is wholeness, privately and publicly, externally and internally. Our life's journey is spent bringing together the disparate parts of ourselves, seeing and weaving together all the pieces of who we are, then finding the courage to be 100% real and open with others, and courage is required. People often come to self-understanding and acceptance well after key life choices are made, when such insight can come to be terrifying. Brene Brown's famous TED Talk on vulnerability, which if you haven't listened to, you must, hints at reasons why we struggle with inauthenticity and wholeness. She says, To let ourselves be seen, deeply seen, vulnerably seen, to love with our whole hearts, even though there are no guarantees, that's really hard. Just to be able to stop and say, to feel this vulnerable means I'm alive. Who can you name that knows fully who they are and known for the whole of who they are to others is truly alive and vulnerable and brave enough to live that way? Studying this transfiguration of Jesus' story all week, the prefix trans has lodged itself in my brain, and I found myself thinking a lot about transgender people. 
perhaps because this week's news reported a shift in policy from the White House on transgender bathrooms, perhaps because the show Transparent is on my Amazon Prime watch list and Jeffrey Tambor is so outstanding, perhaps because I know transgender people in this church and transgender teens in my children's schools, and several of us had conversation about it this week, And while I understand some folks here among us are frankly baffled and maybe upset when they hear the word transgender, to the transgender worshiping with us today, you are welcome here to be who you are and who you are becoming. After all, we all want to put together the pieces of ourselves and feel whole and safe and vulnerable. I thought this week of how we encounter people dealing with identity struggles that are relatively foreign to us. We hear their stories from our own perspective. How rare that we would step into the shoes of the person who is struggling, particularly if that area of struggle is strange or especially offensive to us. Have you ever imagined what your life would be like right now if you had been born with the sexual organs of a male but felt deep inside and all over that you are a female? I've rarely had that thought. But rather, I do stress over what to do with someone who's so different from me. How do I refer to them? How do I talk to them? What do I say to my six-year-old granddaughter when we enter the checkout lane of the cross-dressing cashier at Target? Our anxieties are about us, not about what they're feeling, not about what we'd feel if their struggles were our struggles. It's not just the transgender. It's hard for us who are not autistic or biracial, or clinically depressed, or so obsessive-compulsive that our hands are cracked from hand-washing, to imagine what we would be like if that were us and how we'd cope. Putting ourselves in the shoes of someone so different does not come naturally. We experience people from the perspective about how we feel about them, how we relate to them. So it's not surprising to me that the vast majority of sermons written on the Transfiguration found in all three synoptic Gospels usually focus on the human perspective. If we are to step into anyone's shoes, it is the disciples, those all-too-human friends of Jesus. That's who we are after all, the all-too-human friends of Jesus. We relate to them. We relive this extraordinary moment, as bizarre as it is, encountering God on a mountaintop like they do, learning about Jesus, pondering the strange presence of Moses and Elijah, basking in the glorious light of God's bright, shining presence, and wanting to hold that moment to make sense of it before it quickly resolves back into the inevitable journey of Jesus' last days on earth. You know this story. Jesus' closest friends are off on a male bonding expedition, hiking to the top of a mountain, when for their teacher there is a complete change of form, a transfiguration, a change of his appearance, a showstopper that terrifies them. We might consider what we have done what we would have done different from Peter, James, and John, and when their new friend who has inspired them to follow him suddenly appears as radiant glory. 
he becomes someone they don't recognize. A side of him emerges they haven't known before. And he has company, two prophets. Then, of course, God, who appears in a voice telling them Jesus is more than human. Jesus is God's beloved son. We might consider the disciples encountering Jesus' transfiguration as a key opportunity for insight, a pivotal moment of preparation in the shift towards the truly painful days when they descend the mountain. We can look at it another way. Jesus' change was actually their change, with the focus on the disciples as the ones who are made different when God allows them a deeper and more real glimpse of this man they were following, and both perspectives would inspire thought-provoking faith. But have you ever taken Jesus' perspective? Stop and ponder what was happening inside of him. Put yourself in his sandals. What did the transfiguration mean to Jesus? What was it like to be the one transfigured? There were two sides to Jesus, you might say. It is mystifying but true. Jesus was both fully human and fully God. Try to comprehend that he was 100% human, made of flesh and blood, feeling fear and desire, enduring temptation and torture, but also, at the same time, 100% God, made of divine DNA, holy with an H, called and self-sacrificing, sinless and humble, utterly powerful, choosing to be powerless. We think being bi-human is hard. Imagine what Jesus was dealing with over his 33 years, holy and human, seeking holy with a WH. Sylvia Dunstan penned the gorgeous text of today's choral anthem, Christus Paradox. A prison chaplain in Canada, she saw Christ in the incarcerated and imprisoned, those kept from the world. She also was a parish pastor, and she saw Christ in the members of her church who were at work in that world. She understood that there are sides to every person, multiple sides even to Jesus, and attuned to that strange coming together of personalities, multiple personalities and missions. She says of Jesus, prince and slave, peacemaker and sword bringer, a source of scorn, a source of crave earthly Jesus, cosmic Christ, preaching a narrow way but loving wide. And perhaps the best quote of all, Christ the everlasting instant. Jesus the Christ, the everlasting instant. At times, Jesus seems to be in conflict even with himself. How could he not be a man who was a god, a king who was a slave? As a living paradox, What was it like to be Jesus, to present himself to different people in different ways? How hard to do what God called him to do, yet unable to ever really bring the parts of himself together on this side of the empty tomb. Up on that mountain, something amazing happened. God outed Jesus for the second time. This is my son, God said. Once at his baptism, it was said, but now in the most intimate and beautiful of settings, with the shift towards the agony of Golgotha just days away, this person is divine, of me, holy. 
God says supremely more than Elijah and Moses. This transfigured Jesus is God. They are no longer with the teacher they thought they knew. In the presence of God, they are changed as we all are when in God's presence. They are unsettled as we all are when we are in God's presence. So much so that God, our Lord Jesus, has to come and touch them and put his human hands on them to calm them down. You know who also is unsettled? Jesus. He is struggling. Leaving the campsite, Jesus commands them to secrecy, refusing to be outed again. Jesus pulls back from being called Son of God and said, calls himself Son of Man. Jesus says, look here, look at the human part of me and don't tell anyone about that other part of me. A Son of Man is a man. Jesus was the Son of God and his essence was God, but he also knew he was the Son of Man in his essence, a human being, flesh. And he left that mountain feeling exposed and he pulled back his friends to the reality of his humanity. And why not? He was, after all, preparing to face everything in front of him in his humanity. Betrayal, trial, flogging, a brutal death. Beyond it, he could see resurrection, but he had to finish his agonizing human story There was a side to himself he was struggling with. What a comfort to know that Jesus struggled with his identity. God calling him God, Jesus instead naming himself human. Like us, he found human form difficult. Like us, he had to endure what we have to endure in life, struggle the search to be 100% authentic, to comprehend himself fully, to let us comprehend him in wholeness. What a comfort to know that we worship a God who is as complex, at least, as we who struggle to be whole are. Our Lord gets it, gets us. The authentic life is not easy. Finding it is also not a sin, We will sin along the way of discovery, but this is the human journey, and Jesus went through it too, even without sin. One more small little thing. The body of Christ, the church, is on the same journey. We will and we must struggle with our wholeness and our authenticity. We must work to know ourselves and bring all the parts of ourselves together. In the PCUSA, 1.6 million members crowd ritzy metropolitan avenues and four-wheel down back roads of West by God, Virginia. We are red and blue and purple and independent, black and white and brown and yellow. We eat fried chicken and sushi, poutine and tamales. We hand out food on 8 Mile and we hand out food to the villagers in Mogadishu. We try to save souls and we try to build houses. We teach the gospel in our air-conditioned classrooms, and we also teach it under banyan trees in Nicaragua. Our pastors regularly receive emails from those angered that we are too political in this pulpit and those who are mad that we are not taking it to Trump and his tweets. This is the church to whom we preach when any of us step into this pulpit. We are as divided a body as the bi-human people who define it. 
we who try to represent Christ to this world. To be human is to spend life discovering, owning, and living as fully as we are. And with God's support and people we dare to let know us, we become who we can be in Christ. The same is true of the church. Peter, James, and John got to glimpse the cosmic complexity of our Lord who was both human and God, and the church reflects that same complexity. Let the many sides of us hold together, for we face a world confounded by our diversity and hostile to our faith. God help us. God help us to know ourselves, to be ourselves, and to love this crazy church of bi-humans that it may be on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Let us go to our God in prayer. You, O Lord, are both lamb and shepherd. You are with the lost, even as they wait to be found. Gather together all who are lost in our world of uncertainty. Be a rock in the midst of chaos. Be hope in the midst of despair. Be a friend in the midst of need. Keep by our side so that we might know the sound of your voice when you call out to us. You peacemaker and sword bringer, your son lived a peaceful life but died a violent death. Strengthen us to wield peace at all costs, for we know that there will be costs. Give us joy that we will resist despair, hope that will conquer fear, and love that will drive out hate. May your peaceable kingdom conquer this world's kingdoms of coercion and violence, so that all may be liberated into the service of your Son, our servant King. You, clothed in light upon the mountain, stripped of might upon the cross, You reveal to us your strength through your weakness. Create in our community a place where vulnerability and authenticity are signs of our strength. Give us the boldness to trust, the initiative to listen, the patience to speak. Transfigure our bodies into the one body of your Son that we might share in his life in his death and in his resurrection, in and for the sake of your world. You whose way is narrow, you whose love reaches wide, you demonstrate your love to us through both law and gospel. Bring justice to our earth, which quakes under the burdens of war and famine, of poverty and greed. Shower mercy upon those who are victims of calamity. Lead perpetrators of abuse, of hatred, of violence to repentance, so that none may harm nor destroy on all your holy mountain. You who are our pilgrim guide, help us to pilgrim alongside our new members. Help us to share their joys, 
and bear their sorrows. Lead us all together along your common way of faithful and authentic obedience. You who are both our death and our life, you died so that we might live. Grant rest to your saints who have died in your service. Keep them in everlasting life. Inspire us with their witness and comfort us in their absence. Fix our eyes on the day of resurrection when all creation will bow before your dazzling throne. All these things things we pray in Jesus' name, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. See you next week for another sermon from First Press.